Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into the latest edition of the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast coming off of a weekend that has seen Daniel Dubois capture a secondary heavyweight championship. It has seen Jaime Munguia score another knockout, even though the guy that he defeated might not uh, be recognizable to anybody other than his own family. Uh, a weekend that has seen Edgar Berlanga win again, yet some controversy because it was a biting situation that has come up in that fight, that top-ranked main event. And we've had the 2020, 2021, and 2022 Hall of Fame classes go in on Sunday as we come in on the recap show to come off the weekend. So we're ready to talk all about it. I'm a somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is insider and content partner, BigFightWeekend.com, Dan Rayfield back aboard plenty to get to on the recap how you feeling coming off the weekend we've had better boxing weekends but you know what the best part of the weekend was the hall of fame inductions that's always fun uh to see these guys go in uh and disappointing i couldn't be there but i was able to watch it on the stream and uh, a lot of legends a lot of great boxing people and it was uh, very enjoyable i tell you what i don't normally do this live on the air but i just bow to your uh insight to your guidance to your outline you want to talk about the hall of fame first before the fights it's up to you. You want to do yeah, that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Yeah, we can so do that. Tell me, you talked extensively on the preview podcast, <laughs> and I encourage the audience, if you want, scan to the end of the Big Fight Weekend pre uh, preview, which was the previous podcast before this one, and Dan made extensive comments about going into the weekend, what he thought, who he thought might should go in next that he's been voting for. You can hear all of that, so you don't have to rehash that. What did you think Sunday, though, of the actual induction, the speeches? Did a couple of them stand out? Go. Well, I mean, look, first of all, because of the situation that the world has been in over the recent years, because of the pandemic, they had to cancel the induction classes for uh, 2020 and 2021. So when they decided to put all three classes in at the same time, I was like, boy, that's a big undertaking. You know, the way that they structure their weekend with the parade and then they have the they have the actual inductions in front. Of, I don't know if anybody's ever been there. There's an area in front of the museum that they have like a pavilion area where they set up the seats and, you know, it can accommodate a good crowd, but it wouldn't be able to accommodate as enough places for everybody uh, to be for this level of an induction with, you know, like 20 plus living members being inducted, both in terms of boxers and, and other categories, um, not to mention the fans that were there, media was there, et cetera. But uh, they, they came up with a good solution. They, they uh, on Friday night where they held the showbox fight, which is in the arena at the Turning Stone uh, Casino, uh, which has a nice, you know, very modern facility where they've hosted plenty of fights before. They had the fights there on Friday and then they used that arena as the location for the inductions. So they were inside in the air conditioner. It was supposed to rain. I don't know if it actually did rain uh, today in, uh, in that part of New York. Um, 
and there was plenty of space for all the dignitaries and all the folks getting in on the dais. And so that was a good thing that they were able to have it indoors at that, uh, at that arena. But just to see all those greats gathered together in one spot, all going in, it's, you know, again, for me, as I said on the preview, it's like my whole career in front of me, as far as the people I covered from the beginning of my career, you know, and to see some fighters like a, like a Miguel Cotto, as an example, who actually turned out to be the final inductee because they did it in order of the classes. And it just happened that he was the last of the people to speak for the class of 2022. I covered his entire career from literally from his professional debut until his Hall of Fame induction. To me, you know, so I have had a lot of like uh, nostalgia today of thinking about that and uh, just memories, you know, and seeing Roy Jones and Floyd Mayweather and Andre Ward and James Tony and Bernard Hopkins and uh, I'm looking at the list here, so I don't forget anybody. He had uh, Vladimir Klitschko, who was not able to be there because he's in Ukraine, so he had a video made and, and sent it to the to the Hall of Fame for them to play for everybody. Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, Shane Mosley, uh, just those are just the men. And then on the women's side, Christy Martin, Layla Ali, Lucia Riker, Holly Holm, Regina Halmich, and then a slew of non-boxing people, promoters like Dan Goosen, who passed several years ago, Lou DeBella, Kathy Duva, my journalist friends like Bernard Fernandez, who was not able to make it, but Tom Hauser and Ron Borges. I mean, just a tremendous number of, of, of great boxing people. And it was just a real great walk down memory lane for, for a couple hours watching uh, that ceremony. And it was uh, fantastic to show you that, you know, people that want to always compare and say, oh, you know, today's fighters, they can't, they can't live up to the, to the past fighters. Well, when I was writing about those guys in their active day, they were saying they couldn't live up to the past before them. I'm going to tell you something. Those guys that went in today are every bit as good as any generation ever. And I think there'll be people that said today's generation, when they go in years from now, they'll look back and say they were good back in the day also. I mean, it was uh, tremendous. And, and it was a true joy, I must say. Not the most famous person in boxing, but the publicist, Bill Kaplan, my dear friend, uh, being, being inducted today, gave a great speech. Uh, just great to watch. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it makes you forget about all the bad stuff in boxing for, for a little while. When you watch these, these – uh, these greats who've given their lives and dedication to get in. And, and as you eloquently put it, uh, this has been three years in the making, two and a half really for the class of 2020. So good that we finally got those people in 2020 in because of the pandemic year. And the 2021 class has been waiting for the better part of a year or a year and a half. They finally got their day. That is your point. Uh, yes. with this as we talk with Dan Rayfield just real quick was there somebody else's speech that really stood out man I was really impressed with whoever for whatever reason can you pinpoint one yeah, I mean of the of the boxers I thought Andre Ward gave outstanding remarks talking about the support that he received from uh, different people in his career and uh people that taught him how to do things on the business end of boxing uh you know I thought he and his you know Andre uh Andre and I have not always seen eye to eye on things, although I, I like Andre and I respect mm -hmm. him. I hope he respects me also, but he's a great fighter and certainly deserving of his first ballot entry. But I thought his remarks were extremely eloquent and the way he explained, uh, you know, his thoughts about it, you know, talking about his parents, talking about his uh, great trainer, uh, Virgil Hunter, that, you know, was like a second father to him in many ways. Uh, he gave a very, very interesting speech. Uh, Bernard Hopkins, of course, the, 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 the comments from Bernard, you know, were not unexpected because I've heard so many of Bernard's comments and him and I've had these kinds of personal conversations. <laughs> I have to joke with him when I see him that I was proud of him, that he didn't go for like a half an hour, to be honest. And the same goes for Floyd Mayweather, when who gets rolling can go for a while also. But Floyd gave nice remarks also. He dedicated, uh, you know, he, he's, he, he, he praised the people that have been with him for a long time, gave nice remarks about Leonard Ellerby, who's he called his ride or die. They've been together 26 years. He's been his most loyal, his most loyal um, 
you know, friend, employee, partner, however you want to describe him. Uh, also about Al Heyman, who, you know, has obviously been a huge impact on him in terms of the way Floyd's business has gone. Um, his father, uh, Floyd Sr., you know, who we called the great trainer, the greatest trainer in the world, said he was going to give his Hall of Fame ring to. Talked about his late uh, uncle, also one of his trainers, uh, Roger Mayweather. Uh, so, you know, Floyd, Floyd spoke, you know, Floyd, of course, being who Floyd is, you know, there's levels of Hall of Famers, but in this group of people that went in, certainly Floyd is you know, in that upper tier, along with like a Roy Jones, you know, getting in today, um, gave great comments. And I don't think you could watch that and not remember that whatever Roy Jones said, it didn't even matter because when it was all said and done, he closed his comments with a rap song from one of his uh, records. So love that. It was just, uh, it was great. And I, I also have to say Bill Kaplan, the publicist who spoke about, uh, you know, his family, but talked about the boxing family. And that it's different than other sports that, you know, you're with these people, uh, you know, at different events constantly throughout the years, all different people that, you know, you, and you can't, you know, you know, if you don't have the family, you have nothing else. But he talked about the what he called the, the family of boxing, whether you're the boxer, the publicist, the reporter, the manager, the promoter, the, the, the you know, look, there's a lot of infighting, a lot of nasty business, but there's also a lot of camaraderie and a lot of, you know, family like relationships that develop over the years in the sport. No doubt. Love Dan Rayfield's insight. By the way, reminder, if you're just finding us here as part of Fight Freaks United and the Recap Podcast, we usually come off the weekend, usually out by Sunday night late or Monday morning to recap the weekend. You find us on the Big Fight Weekend's podcast feed. We have the Big Fight Weekend preview to preview the weekend. And then oftentimes there's a special Fight Freaks Unite where Dan's got a one-on-one -on -one interview, et cetera, with different dignitaries. We've, had, we've heard him talk already in a couple of months of the relationship with Ryan Garcia or Errol Spence or Oscar De La Hoya or Eddie Hearn, uh, on and on down the list. If you are subscribing or following this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you don't even have to get an alert. Uh, you're just going to get an automatic notification that there's a new podcast up on the feed fight freaks unite or the big fight weekend preview that's how you grab us now i'm going to make you laugh because you and i don't always see eye to eye going back and forth i know you and mrs rayfield just like me and mrs reeves don't always see eye to eye the difference is mrs rayfield and mrs reeves are always right whether we see eye to eye or not <laughs> not seeing eye to eye is part of america and, the, and debates and discussions and whatever i just thought i would throw that out there i told you i'd yep. make you laugh uh, on that one. Okay, let's get to the guys who didn't see eye to eye in the ring this weekend. By means of recap, we'll start with Daniel Dubois, not unexpected. In fact, all three of the guys that won, it was not unexpected. Dubois, not unexpected win and knockout. Uh, we were both predicting knockout. Kudos to you. You got the over three and Barely. a half rounds, but not by much, but it doesn't matter on not by much. It went beyond the midway point of the fourth round and Dubois got the knockout of Trevor Bryan. I have a quick thought in a second, but give me your thoughts because Dubois gets the win. He's got the WBA secondary heavyweight title, won the fight in Miami over Bryan. Your thoughts real quick, Dan. Trevor Bryan didn't show up, uh, talked a lot of shit and did nothing. Had no game plan. I didn't think, um, didn't throw any punches. Um, didn't look like when he did throw punches that there was anything on them. Um, you know, Dubois came with a plan. He, you know, he's a hard puncher. He, he was uh, very fundamental. His jab was stiff. You know, he went forward. He came with the patented, you know, the, you know, it was perfect combinations of the, the, the jab and the hook and, uh, you know, really inflicted himself on Trevor Bryan. Like we all thought he would. And uh, you have to be, you know, it's one thing if you, you know, there's no, there's never a shame if you lose a fight. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. But I just didn't feel like Trevor was really even trying. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but just watching it, it just didn't feel like he was really trying to win. That at, 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 at the very best case scenario for him, he was trying to survive as long as he could. But 
He didn't throw money, any punishes really. He landed a couple, nothing that did any kind of remote damage to, uh, to Daniel Dubois. And, uh, when he finally got clipped with the good left hook, it was a very good left hook. I'm not faulting him for getting knocked down by that hook, but his defense was pretty bad. And, um, you know, he got, he got run over like a train. You know, like we talk about sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. And definitely on, on a Saturday, he was the bug in a big way. So I, I, uh, I, there's so many different ways that we could cover this and go about it. Is it out of line to say that the charade was up? that sooner or later he was going to have to step up in competition. Oh, absolutely. Don King has been perpetrating this as, oh, secondary heavyweight champion and Trevor Bryan, secondary heavyweight champion. But this is obviously the best fighter he's been in with, a skilled fighter, and the gig is up. The charade is up on what is your skill level, what is your ability. Did he get exposed, I guess, is the way to ask it, as being a certain level fighter, and no matter whom he'd have been in there against at a higher level, it was going to look like it looks Saturday. What say you? I think you're right about that, but I actually, to be honest, I think in the fight he had in January when he retained that title in a split decision against Jonathan Guidry, that the exposure occurred in that fight when he had some troubles with, I mean, let's be honest, nothing against John Guidry, a working man, you know, a, a working class guy. He works as a, a shrimper, you know, down in, the, in the, the Louisiana area for his actual job when he's not boxing. So I'm not disrespecting uh, Jonathan Guidry's hard work whatsoever, but he's not even a full-time boxer. He's a club level kind of fighter mm-hmm. and Daniel and uh, not Dubois, but uh, Trevor Bryan struggled with him in January. So when he went to go the distance with him in a split decision, uh, you know, it was hard to see him competing in a, in a real manner with any legitimate top heavyweight uh, and not with Daniel Dubois either, who may not have the, the resume of other top heavyweights and did have the knockout loss against Joe Joyce, which, you know, as we talked about on the preview was a forgivable kind of loss uh, that there was no doubt that he was going to get run over. So, if you didn't think he was exposed to a degree uh, in the win over Gidry, uh, I think it's very clear that Trevor Bryan was a manufactured kind of record. Uh, he had the fight in January, but before that, it was a year before his previous fight against the completely faded and one, you know, uh, one-time title holder, Bermain Stavern. He still took him in like the 11th round. The same guy that, you know, Deontay Wilder out, you know, knocked out in one round. You know, when Deontay Wilder fought him the first time and went 12 rounds, you know, that was when Stavern was still a pretty formidable guy. And, and Deontay, even though he went to this, still won like every single round. So, you know, Trevor had never really had the opportunity to fight a top uh, top type of opponent until Dubois. And, uh, you know, you see what happens. And that's why that, you know, the secondary title is, is a bad idea. But there are certain guys that have held that title who are outstanding fighters who – so they kind of get a little bit more. They don't. The title is not taken as such a joke because the fighter that holds it is a really good fighter, like a Javante Davis, for example. But the heavyweight title was taken as a joke because a the boxer that held it was ridiculous that he would have it, and b you know when you have guys like Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk who had held that belt plus others in unifications, uh, you know who are clearly among the top heavyweights. You know, putting Tyson Fury to the side who had the WBC title and the lineal title. You know, there's a reason why we why people mock that particular belt. You know, it's one thing if you have a secondary title in like the junior featherweight division, not the heavyweight division. That's the Amen. marquee premier division of the sport. All right. One more on this. Uh, I'll kind of morph it two different ways. I mean, the first thing is Don King, 90 years old. You talked to him. We, we joked about it. He's promoting the fight. I, I knew what, what we were in for watching some of this on Friday and Saturday, where Don literally looked like he had a sign that was made at Kinko's with a banner on top of the Miami Highlight sign because the old Miami Highlight building is not being used anymore. Uh, some, some of the stuff just kind of reeked of small time, whatever, get Trevor Bryan out there. It looked to me like he hadn't trained very hard or done very much. Cause he was out of gas, like in the second round of the fight, you know, believe it or not, him. 
he seemed actually to be in a, even in better condition than he was for the Gidry fight, to be honest with you. Yeah, but by, so, by the I second mean, round, he, he just was, he just he is who he is. He's just yeah. He's he's a again. I'm not knocking Trevor Bryan. He's just that's what he is as a All boxer. Right. He's not he's not an elite heavyweight. Period. We spent too much time on him to not talk about Dubois. Give me give me yeah. a quick sixty seconds on Dubois who gets the win. But again, he's kind of in the back of the pack here on serious title shot anytime in the next six to twelve months. Probably not. So what about Dubois now that he came to the United States again and got yeah. the win? I mean, he's got the belt uh, for what it's worth. He'll go back to the UK. He now is going to be the mandatory for the winner of the rematch between Usyk and Joshua. Uh, and so I suspect the WBA will allow uh, that rematch to, to take place between AJ and Usyk. And they'll give them, I mean, my, this is my speculation. They'll give them a certain amount of runway to see if the winner of that fight can make the ultimate unification for the undisputed against Tyson Fury. If that goes nowhere, and Fury either is, decides he's not going to fight again, he's still retired, they can't make a deal, blah, blah, blah. At some point, the WBA will order the winner of that fight to fight Daniel Dubois. So now it's entirely possible that Dubois, well, I mean, I'm not impossible. I can't imagine he's going to go the rest of this year without another fight. His promoter is Frank Warren. They'll set up you know, a defense in the UK. They'll find some somebody for him to fight. They'll make kind of a big deal about it. It'll give him some more exposure and uh, and make a, you know, a big event for him in the UK. Um while while Joshua and, and Usyk uh, figure out their differences in the rematch and see what happens with the possibility of an undisputed fight. But again, the WBA is, they may not be doing it as quickly as I would like, but they are following along and they're ordering these fights. We got rid of, you know, another one of these secondary titles on Friday night when uh, Hiroto Kayaguchi uh, had a tremendous performance in a, in a knockout victory, a bloody knockout victory against uh, Esteban Bermudez in a terrific fight that was the matchroom to zone fight Friday night. So he was the champion and Bermudez was the secondary champion. And now that is a race. So as I uh, wrote on Twitter afterwards, now the WBA is down to nine divisions remaining where there's a secondary title and no more interim titles. So again, it's not perfect, but they're making progress. And that's all you can ask for. And Gilberto Mendoza, uh, who is the president of the WBA, responded to my tweet saying that he expected by the end of this year to have at least another three divisions taken care of. Uh, in terms of the reduction. So they're, they're hashing out the, the split on a purse bid between Lee Wood and Leo Santa Cruz in the featherweight division. Obviously, the heavyweights are tied up right now. They're not going to force Canelo to fight David Morrell. I don't even have a problem with that. Uh, there's some divisions where, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time, and there's others where they will order those fights, and they probably will happen. So one thing at a time. But for Dubois, he'll just parade around as though he is a heavyweight champion, even though we know he's not. He's just an outstanding, uh, you know, up and coming heavyweight still. He'll get a fight and he'll wait, hopefully, for the winner uh, of either an Usyk Joshua, if they don't make Fury, or perhaps the winner of a Fury versus Usyk Joshua winner, which don't, don't, don't forget, if it was the winner of that ultimate undisputed was Fury or Joshua, the winner of that fight is British and it's going to be, an, it would be another all British big heavyweight fight. So, you know, there are possibilities, but the good thing is Dubois is at least an interesting heavyweight, an exciting heavyweight, an in-shape heavyweight, a young heavyweight compared to a Trevor Bryan. Quickly, because Frank Warren pub, uh, promotes both of them. Joe Joyce beat Dubois. Joe Joyce at the top of the WBO rankings. He's waiting also in that line. Any chance that those two rematch? How good a chance that those two would rematch in the next six, nine months if they can't find another dance partner? What do you think, real quick? I think, it's, un I think it's unlikely because I don't think Dubois has any reason to go back into that at this point. And Joyce 
He's there's nothing in it for Joyce. Joyce knocked him out. There's nothing unless it's a bunch of money. Yeah, there's nothing Joyce in it for Joyce, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's already number one for the WBO belt. So, and I, I mean, there's money in that fight, but I don't think it's that much money relative to some other fight that he can do. And I just think, you know, Frank's a smart promoter. He's been doing this a long time. He does. There's no real. There's a. I don't think there's real public demand for it in the UK for their match. We've seen it not that long ago. Two. He now has Dubois with a belt that he can match up with whoever. And Joe, same situation. He can have him fight as they as he as he bides his time to get his WBO title shot. So uh, not really necessary and just don't think it's happening. All right. What's happening next is the Matchroom DAZN show. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, the Golden Boy DAZN show that took place in Anaheim, California. Chronologically on Saturday night, that was the next main event fight that saw Jaime Munguia again do what we thought he would do, which is wipe out, speaking of the UK, Jimmy Kelly, who is a, a relative unknown to everybody. Uh, it took until the fifth round. He got to him in the fifth round and knocked him down three times. Dan, quick thoughts and recap as Munguia gets his 40th career win, his 32nd career knockout. Not unexpected, as we keep saying. Your thoughts? My thoughts are it's time for Jaime Munguia to fight a guy with a pulse. I'm sick and tired of these bullshit, bullshit fights where he doesn't fight anybody. Uh, I'm not even blaming Munguia, but it's time for Golden Boy and zone to make some insistences on him fighting real guys. Stop with the perpetrating the fraud about trying to get Charlo. That ain't happening. Um, you know, there's no reason for them to do a deal with the zone. Uh, Charlo's the champion, uh, you know, of the WBC. And, and while Munguia has a following, um, there's nothing in it for the, there's nothing in it for PBC to do that fight with Golden Boy. And so, you know, Jaime Munguia could have had a title shot many times against Andre. They didn't go after it. Uh, they could still have that if they want uh, for the WBO title even though Andre is injured and probably never fighting as a middleweight ever again. Jaime did say after the fight, because this fight was contracted at 165, that if he couldn't get a title shot at 160, he would consider staying at, you know, in the super middleweight division. But my thoughts are Jimmy Kelly absolutely played with him for the first four rounds, made him look like an amateur, like Jaime Munguia did not belong in the ring with him, completely outboxed him. Uh, and then Jaime Munguia is the bigger, stronger, overall better fighter. He finally got to him with a good shot, dropped him three times, and that's all she wrote. Jimmy Kelly gave a great effort as a massive underdog. Uh, he won the first four rounds, and then he got knocked, you know, not got his head knocked off. Do I mean, think, there's really nothing to talk about. I mean, do it was, you think Munguia was disinterested, uh, confused? No, I don't think he was what do you, what I do you think he was, it was at the beginning? I think he was what he was, a very limited fighter with great offensive output who's exciting, whose boxing ability is extremely limited, and that if you put him in with a real boxer – by the way, if you think there, there's a – this is not that complicated. There's a reason why they didn't go after Demetrius Andre. Because if Jimmy Kelly could play with him for four rounds, what do you think Demetrius Andre could do? I don't care if Demetrius Andre's got a bum shoulder. He could do that with one arm against Jaime Munguia. There's a reason, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even knocking them. It's intelligent matchmaking. There, why would you put in a guy like that who, in my estimation, has almost no chance to, to win a fight like that unless he lands a Hail Mary? You know, they had a much better chance against a, a Jimmy Kelly you know, who still had great success for four rounds uh, before, you know, ate, ate, ate some big punches and got knocked out. But there's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of the Jaime Munguia nonsense. You know, I like to watch him fight. With you. He's a very exciting fighter, but, you know, give me a real fight or, or, or lose my number. And yeah, the public will say the same thing. Enough of this. Give us somebody or we don't care anymore uh, for the bigger, for the bigger uh, paydays and, and for more accolades, fight a better fight. All right, one more to go, and that was the top-ranked ESPN battle, Hulu Theater, New York City. Edgar Berlanga did win by decision. Another nice call by Dan Raphael, who was three for three, by the way, on the Friday Bet US boxing preview show. Dan Raphael had decision. I had Berlanga by KO. By the way, 
Yeah. Let me say what we didn't, we didn't have these as official picks on the show. Mm -hmm. We did talk about them though. I also had Kayaguchi by knockout. You did. And remember one of the, one of the viewers asked us the question about the, the, uh, I believe it was the Commonwealth, the Mark Leach fight. Yes. And, and I took a flyer and I picked the other guy and he Davies. won also, by the way. And Dave is one. So you're rolling. You're on a heater right rolling. now. They need to check out the BetUS Boxing Preview, BetUS TV, the BetUS app, and the BetUS YouTube page. We're there Fridays at 1 o'clock. My point is, you thought Berlanga would be forced to go the, dis the distance, get a decision against Romar Alexis Angulo. That is what happened. And then we had controversy. We have, we have the 25th anniversary of the Tyson Holyfield bite night coming later this month. We had another bite night sequel in this case. Dan, you wrote about this after it was over. What are your thoughts in the recap mode as we wind it down? You know, the people that there's a couple things here, a couple ways to look at this. Number one, I don't want to hear from anybody that says Edgar Berlanga didn't win the fight. Oh, it was a robbery. Bullshit. It wasn't a robbery. The guy won the fight. Romer Angulo gave up, you know, he gave a good account of himself, but he didn't win the fight. What happened was Edgar Berlanga did not win, in my estimation, and that of most people, 9-1 or 8-2, which is what the official scorecards were. But he won the fight. I mean, that's obvious. He landed way more punches. His jab was steady. He kept him on the outside. He boxed very nicely. It's not the Berlanga we're used to seeing. That may be a, 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 a factor because of the fact that he changed trainers for this camp to a, to a trainer that's maybe a little more um, technical-minded or defensive-minded. But, but stop with the nonsense. Edgar Berlanga won the fight. It wasn't the most crowd-pleasing fight. It wasn't nine rounds to two. It wasn't probably or nine rounds to one. It was probably not eight rounds to do, but Edgar Berlanga won the fight period. I don't want to hear anything other than that. Now, other than that, he did not enhance himself. He said he'd score a big knockout. He said he would become a, even a bigger, you know, a name recognition to help him create more superstar for himself. He didn't accomplish any of that. In fact, it was a negative. He sold less tickets for this fight than the last fight. I think people were disappointed with the most recent fight against Steve Rolls and they didn't buy the tickets for this fight. Uh, even though it was on the Puerto Rican parade weekend, which you'd figure his people, the Puerto Rican fans would have had a better chance to sell it out uh, than they did, you know, several months ago. They also jacked up the ticket prices, which didn't help. There um, you go. So that's one aspect of it. And then, of course, there's the problem that happened in the seventh round where a, a, a seemingly a frustrated Edgar Berlanga for no real reason. And he can say that Angulo was fouling him or doing this or doing that. I don't care what he was doing. There's no excuse to bite your opponent. And the replay is irrefutable. He bit him on the shoulder. He bit him on the shoulder. Let me repeat. He bit him on the shoulder. And the wild thing is the referee couldn't see it because he was on the other no. side on the other shoulder. The, the so referee, basically there were not repercussions. It was crazy. The referee is Ricky Gonzalez, who was a top-notch referee from New York who's done many fights. He was literally standing on the other side of the two men when he did that. He did not see it. I hope that the commission looks at that replay and they have every, to my knowledge, every right to do so. Uh, they're not going to change the result of the fight because certainly if Ricky had seen it, A, he could have disqualified him. B, he could have taken away two points mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a uh, intentional foul. Had he taken away the two points, you know, obviously it wouldn't have helped in terms of what the actual scores were. But I think the commission has every right to, in retrospect, to fine him or, you know, offer some kind of, of, uh, of punishment. What I was even more kind of disturbed by and kind of annoyed by and I like Edgar Berlanga. He's a charismatic kid. You know, I've known him since he was first starting out. He's a, not a bad guy at all. But I didn't like the fact that when he was asked about it by uh, Bernardo Osuna on the H, on the um, in the post fight of the ESPN interview, that Berlanga was joking about it. You don't joke about that. You just don't do that. That's not appropriate in my opinion. What about? So, I'm just making they, the argument. I'm just making the argument. What about the old school mentality was? 
for a long time. If you're being fouled, foul the guy back. And it's part of boxing. And if he thought he was being elbowed or cheap shots or whatever, he's doing something back. I'm not condoning biting someone. I'm just putting that out there for you. What's your response to that? That that used to be the old school. He should have been penalized. He wasn't. But maybe in his mind, I'm evening it up here. If he's fouling me, I'm going to foul him back. So that's not old school. I can tell by your expression you don't buy it. No, no, no. That's not old school. That's new school. Also, if he, if he, if he hit you low, or he elbowed you, or he headbutted you, if you want to get him back and you want to do something, do do the same foul back to him. Elbow him back. Hit him low back. You know, headbutt him back. I don't condone that necessarily, but you don't bite the guy. That's just not cool. Period. And uh, for him to even and you know he ratted himself out by saying in the interview I was going to go Mike Tyson on him. And then you watch the you know the you watch the um, the replay and he's he's biting him on the shoulder. It's just. So the combination of a of a of a ho hum performance, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a, a fourth consecutive ho hum performance. Yep. Uh, real, I, I take that back. Really, a third ho hum performance because the the distance fight against Nicholson, which was the first time he ever got out of the first round, that was actually a really good performance. It's just that Demond Nicholson took all the shots he could take, but Edgar still dropped him, still won handily, and still was a good fight. So I don't give him grief for that distance fight. I don't really we... give guys. Should we be concerned now that this is four straight fights where he couldn't finish the guy for various reasons that maybe his punching power is not necessarily what we thought it was at the better level of competition? Is 100%. that a concern? Yes, it's not a concern. It's a fact. You know, Berlanga, um, he calls himself the chosen one. He believes and members of his team believe that maybe he'd be the next great Puerto Rican champion. You know, he's told the story about going to Madison Square Garden to watch Miguel Cotto, who was ringside last night before going overnight to Canastota for his Hall of Fame induction, of going to watch Miguel Cotto's fight at the Garden in the main arena. This fight was in the smaller Hulu theater. But going to the main arena when he was nine years old and watching uh, uh, Miguel Cotto's uh, knockout victory to retain his welterweight title against Zab Judah, a very exciting atmosphere and a great fight. I was you know, fortunate to be ringside to cover that fight. Uh, I believe it was in 2007. Um, and that that changed his life in many ways that, you know, he aspired to be that because Miguel was one of his heroes. And when he turned pro, you know, him and his father spoke about someday, if we can develop your, your career, that someday you can headline on the Puerto Rican uh, parade weekend, uh, you know, uh, Eve. And they did that last night. But to think that that performance and the ones we've seen in the past couple of fights before that, that he is now the chosen one to, to walk in the footsteps and follow in the path of the most recent great Puerto Ricans that did that. Uh, had the big New York crowds, which are Miguel Cotto and before him, Felix Trinidad. Um, like, I hope he can do it. I have no nothing but nothing but positive thoughts for him in that respect. But it's very hard to see that happening based on the evidence that has been presented uh, in his performances over the last few fights. That's the nice way for me to put it. That's a very polite way to put it. Right now, you and I are in the same boat, and a lot of boxing fans and observers were from Missouri, or as we say in that part of the world, Missouri. Show me. That's the show me state. Show me that you are stepping up in competition and can still knock people down and knock people out. Because right now, he's not showing us on Berlanga. And And Angulo, by the way, Angulo was a legitimate step up based Mm -hmm. on the kind of opponents that Angulo has faced as also compared to the types of opponents that Edgar had faced. So, you know, Angulo was not not a bad fighter by any means. He did have two world title matches. He lost a decision to Gilberto Zerto Ramirez a few years ago. He got stopped in, I believe, the 10th round against David Benavides in a, in a, in a vacant title fight where David had been over uh, the, the, the division limit and was stripped of the WBC title. And, you know, he, he didn't win those fights, but he also, you know, was able to hang with those guys, even if he didn't win. Um, and he did a lot better against uh, Berlanga 
And that that's, you know, if you want to measure, you know, he's not as fresh as he was when he fought those guys either. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks about Berlanga. Let's be honest about it. I mean, it's, you know, again, I hope that the guy succeeds because it can only be good for the business and the sport. Uh, if you can have a, a charismatic, big punching Puerto Rican superstar filling up Madison Square Garden, that's a great thing for, for the sport and as a fan. Um, but again, you know, I'll consider myself a Missouri resident for the moment. Show me, baby. Show me. Show me. Show me. All right. Well, I think we pretty well covered most everything from Hall of Fame to the three fight cards this weekend. Dan, anything else in closing before we're done here on the recap? I'm looking forward to next week's main event at mm. the Garden Theater. That's what I'm looking about. I'm looking forward to Arthur Betterbeev and Joe Smith and that light heavyweight unification fight also back in the same venue where Berlanga had the fight with Angulo. That is going to be a sensational fight. You know the amazing thing about it is you're a boxing fan living in the New York area. And you're like, I want to go to a boxing match this summer and I'm going to hit up Madison Square Garden. And I can either go to see Edgar Berlanga against Alexis, uh, Romer Alexis Angulo with a, you know, a heavily Puerto Rican undercard on the eve of the Puerto Rican Day Parade weekend uh, for this much money for my tickets. Or I can wait one week and I can go back to the same venue and see the unified light heavyweight championship of the world uh, between Better Be and Joe Smith with also, you know, a, not a Puerto Rican undercard, but a, a prospect heavy undercard with some, you know, some good up and coming fighters on there and pay a lot less money for my ticket, which is how the tickets are priced right now. How do you even not choose to go to the light heavyweight fight? A much, much better fight for considerably less money for a ringside ticket. There you go. All right. Good. Good to know on that. And Joe Smith obviously is from Long Island and from the New York area. He will have a big crowd. You would believe there for the better be uh, battle that's coming this week. So we're anxious on that. Uh, for now, though, I think we are good. Dan, thanks as always. We look forward to reading you this week on BigFightWeekend.com. Also, Dan's Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. With whatever news that's coming out, the latest fight previews, recaps, all of it, read it on the sites there and be with us right here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, including Fight Freaks Unite and the recap coming off the weekend. My friend, thank you. Have a great week. We'll catch up with you again later in the week for the preview of Better Be Evan Smith and everything else that's going on. Thank you, Dan. Looking forward to it, TJ. There you go. We thank you for being with us as well on Fight Freaks Unite. Bye. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 support your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.